Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. We have a Marvel movie review for you this Friday, Eternals. So it's been about a week since the Eternals came out. This has been a pretty polarizing movie if you care anything about like reviews and other stuff like that. So the the big controversy with this movie is that it is Rotten Tomatoes lowest graded Marvel movie ever. It's currently it started off at like a 61%. It's currently at a 47% on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, if you if you've listened to my movie reviews before, you just know me personally. You know that Rotten Tomatoes is something that I've considered to be like a solid guideline in terms of when a movie is good. Um, their their scores are generally okay, uh, pretty accurate. But what's more important, if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, the thing that's more important than the Tomato Meter, which is their certified movie critics is the audience score. The audience score has way more reviews, way more uh, people actually talking about it, and the percentages reflect that. So 310 reviews for the tomato meter. It has a 47%. 5,000 plus verified ratings for the audience score. It has an 80%. So it's always important to look at both scores because, you know, you'll get like a a slapstick comedy that isn't supposed to be deep or (laughs) have like really uh, have intricate jokes or humor or anything. It's just like a slapstick, stupid, funny humor that you turn your brain off and you can laugh a little bit. Like Rotten Tomatoes will give that, that kind of movie a 15, 20, 25, 30% on Rotten Tomatoes, but the audience score will be like a 70, 75, maybe even an 80%. And that's how you know you can go and and enjoy that slapstick comedy movie and not have to worry about, you know, is it actually a good movie or not. So the it, you take the actual Rotten Tomatoes score with a grain of salt because... If that's kind of low, but the audience score is pretty high, then you're pr- probably in for a, a pretty good movie, like a de- at least a decent movie. And with The Eternals, that's kind of what I was expecting. Um, I, I wasn't going in here expecting Marvel's best movie ever. Uh, I had seen reviews saying that it's pretty different from any other Marvel movie that we've had before, which I could agree with. It's good, though. I'm not going to sit here and say this is horrible. Like, it's better than Thor, Thor uh, Thor the Dark World, uh, Black Widow, Captain Marvel, Ant-Man and the Wasp. It's better than all those movies, for sure. Uh, It's probably, like, lower mid-tier I would say, but you have to look in terms of also for me with Marvel movies, I'm big on what kind of world building does it ha- does it do and what kind of setup does it create? So if you have a movie that's kind of like just there, you know, like Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3, 
two movies I wouldn't consider bad, but in terms of what they do for the MCU, they're just kind of there, you know? There's no real world building coming from those movies uh, other than just like some develop character development from Iron Man. So with the Eternals, more so than just the plot of the movie, the entire thing sets up a ton. Introducing new characters um, and moving the MCU forward in their new phase four plan of expanding the the multiverse the mcu universe and and different characters so we get here obviously the eternals there's 10 of them uh and they all have different powers which are pretty cool and stuff like that so and we get the celestials and for the eternals there's cersei who can kind of manipulate um, matter and, and uh, I guess, transform materials to her whim. So we see her transform uh, in the final act of the movie when all these, like, boulders are flying at them from the volcano and the, the, the rise of the celestial that they're trying to bring forth. Uh, she turns, like, boulders into butterflies or birds, whatever, and then... We see her disintegrate like a stone tablet in the very beginning of the movie during an earthquake. So she can manipulate matter. Uh, we have Icarus, who is the strongest, noted several times, the strongest of all the Eternals. And the director, Chloe Zhao, uh, has come out and said already multiple times that a direct inspiration of Icarus was Zack Snyder's Man of Steel Superman, who is this very godlike figure in the way he flies, the, the laser beams that shoot out of his eyes. It's very reminiscent of Zack Snyder's Superman. We even get a Superman reference in this show where um, Faustus, his son, says, Hey, look, Dad, it's Superman pointing at Icarus, which I thought was pretty weird. Um, you know, we ne we get meta references all the time in the MCU that relate to real life things and, and people and characters, fictional characters even, but we've never gotten a direct DC reference in the MCU. Uh, so we, we get this Superman reference, which I thought was really bizarre and it made me scratch my head for a moment, but I guess you can kind of just explain it in a way where it's these characters are real in in the MCU universe. The the Marvel characters are real people, but the Superman comic book still exists. It's just that the Superman character may not be a real life person in this universe, but the comic books and DC comic books are still all a very real thing. So I thought it was very interesting. That, that's kind of how I shuffled it in my head. Because obviously there's no way that Superman could be a real character in this universe. Just obviously would not make any sense and would cause a whole lot of confusion. But these characters, the Marvel characters, aren't comic books. But they're actually... Well, they have the X-Men movie. Logan's kind of a different story. I'm getting... I'm going to confuse some people. So... <laughs> The, the Marvel characters are all real superheroes. Gods and and, and these, these mutants and superheroes are all real people in this universe. But characters like Superman still exist 
comic book wise. That's the easiest way I can explain it. Um, but Icarus is the only Eternal that can do two things. Every other Eternal has like one special power that they can use. And Icarus has two. He's the only one who can fly. And then he shoots powerful laser beams from his eyes. Uh, he's sick in every action sequence. He's very cool to watch. Richard Madden is uh, fantastic. I really like Richard Madden a lot in general as a actor. So him being in this movie was cool. We get uh, Kingo, who is uh, Kum uh, Kumail Nanjiani, who we know leading up to this movie got shredded out of his mind. He has a really, he actually might have my most favorite uh, ability because he has like finger guns. He, he shoots um, <laughs> and he shoots little, literally finger guns. And sometimes he can charge them up. And, and shoot a, a bigger, more powerful blast from his hands. But he's he's pretty cool with his with his ability. Uh, we have Sprite, who sucks. And she is... They make several direct Peter Pan references to her. And she is the only child of the group. She doesn't age. Obviously, all of them don't age. So she's the only one who happens to be a child. And she can create astral projections of herself and duplicates of herself she can even cloak herself to look different but unlike Loki where when he casts projections and other stuff like that they can be physical and can and can do things hers cannot uh we see her flirting with this guy in a club with this projection of her being an older woman the guy goes to touch her hand and he phases right through her so she can't make physical contact. The things that she projects can't make physical con uh, contact with things. They are strictly visual. Uh, Brian Tyree Henry, who I like a lot, obviously another really good actor, is Faustus or Fasto Fastos, excuse me. I thought it was always Faustus. I thought it was like Dr. Faustus, like the mythology, but it's not. It's Fastus. Um, he is the smart guy of the group, super intelligent weapons and uh Technology, armor, stuff like that. That's all his alley. Uh, we see him create several things uh, in the beginning of the movie. We see him create the steam engine. And some of the other Eternals mock him like, you know, they're not ready for that, meaning the humans. He creates uh, a plow to farm crops, help farm crops. And then we see a, a quick flashback where he gives up on humanity. Back in the 40s, he helps create... Uh, the atomic bomb, or maybe not directly create the atomic bomb, but he implies that if he didn't help them with the technology and pushing them forward and help them evolve, none of this would have ever happened. It's reminiscent of J. Robert Oppenheimer, who was a guy to be a known... He's known for the being the father of the atomic bomb and someone who has come out and said frequently that he regrets his discovery and his his knowledge and information leading to something that was so catastrophic to uh, Japan. So that's Faustus, uh, Fastos. There's Makari, who's deaf. The actual actress, uh, Lauren Ridloff, is also deaf. So it's not, you know, a thing that they're just doing. She is deaf in real life. Uh, she is the speedster of the group, and the way they portray her speed, especially towards the end, they have this one specific moment where we follow her around the Earth as she's looking for the emergence site. Um, 
And the way they portray it, I think, is probably the best live-action portrayal of a speedster that we've ever seen. Uh, I am on the record saying I hate the way that they did the Flash in the Justice League. All of the lightning and electricity that flies off of him is very, very, very annoying and visually unappealing when you're watching it happen in, in the movie during the scenes. Uh, and it, it just it makes it look... It's just, just an eyesore, the way they do it. And then, of course, you have like live-action Flash for like the CW um, channel in the Flash TV show. And that's dog shit too. So Makari and her speed abilities in the MCU, the way they have done it was uh, really, it was a different take and it was, it was really pleasant to look at really. So then we got Druig, who is probably the least, um, like he doesn't really do much. You know, he has the power to manipulate the minds of others. He's a, He's a telekinetic, and we we see him use it a couple of times, but never really to the point where it's like, okay, this guy is a badass. Um, so Druig is kind of on the back burner up until the last act of the act of the movie. We have Gilgamesh, who is my personal favorite. Uh, he is the physically the most strong, the strongest of the Eternals. Um. I know I said Icarus is the strongest, which he is given all of their powers, but physically speaking, in terms of like who punches the hardest, it's Gilgamesh. Uh, and yes, he does in the movie, they say he's inspired from, or he inspired the legend of Gilgamesh, the actual story, just the way Athena aspired Athena from Greece and Icarus, they say Sprite made up the story of Icarus flying too close to the sun. It's a whole thing. Um, they're all entrenched in history and mythology and lore and stuff like that. Gilgamesh has super cool gauntlets that he can manifest that enhance his punch even more. So he's dope. I really like Gilgamesh a lot. Um, Ajak is Salma Hayek. She is the mother figure of the Eternals with the ability to heal and the one who has direct contact with Arisham, who is Arisham the Judge. He is the Celestial uh, that has direct contact with Earth's Eternals. And then the last one is Thena, Angelina Jolie. She is the warrior of the Eternals who has the ability to create different weapons. She has a shield and spear. She has a sword. She has a uh, a different kind of spear with like uh, blades on the in the middle of it. Um, she has a dagger, she can do, like, different knives, uh, just a bunch of things that she can create weapons-wise. So, she's, like, the warrior. Um, all really cool. You know, I, I kind of like how they divvied up all the powers between all of them, and you can sit here and, and poke a huge plot hole in it and be like, well, why would, uh... Arisham or whatever other Celestials is creating them, why would they not just make them more powerful? Why only give them one or, or in Icarus's case, two powers? And that's a good question, but who really cares? Because it's the Eternals and that's the way they're supposed to be. They're not supposed to be, uh, like, they're supposed to be immortal, but not unkillable, and also not like the strongest beings in the galaxy. galaxy. Just strong enough to kill... The deviants 
who they happen to be one and the same as we learn in the movie. Uh, but all in all, so a little bit about the movie. First act, pretty slow. I'm not <laughs> huge on text crawls in Marvel movies, especially text crawls that it's just Times New Roman font, text crawl explaining who the Eternals are and how they got created and what their purpose was, which was to be to go on Earth and wipe out the Deviants. We find out in the movie that they are one and the same. The Celestials sent the Deviants to wipe out all Apex Predators on Earth, and then they got out of control, so then they sent the Eternals to wipe out all of the Deviants. That way, humankind can grow and become strong enough and smart enough to create enough energy to birth a Celestial from the planet. So if you see in the movie, you all know what I'm talking about. Uh, I think the plot twist with Icarus was uh, really cool. I thought that I thought that was nice. Um, I, I certainly wasn't expecting it. I thought, you know, Icarus was the good guy. He was cool. And then, of course, his betrayal of Ajax uh, and killing her was certainly uh, unexpected. And he fulfills his mythological destiny by flying directly into the sun at the end of the movie because he ends up not being able to kill Cersei because he still loves her and they end up stopping the birth of the celestial and he can't live with himself obviously I don't think anyone would be able to forgive him or maybe some people would probably be able to forgive him for what he did considering but they he did kill Ajax he did um try to kill them so, not great. I'm not a huge fan of what they did with Kingo either. He said, you know, I actually do believe in Arisham still, and I don't disagree with Icarus. However, I'm not going to harm any of you for my beliefs. So he kind of just removes himself from the last act of the movie. Wasn't thrilled about that, but it was a very interesting... Uh, character like develop not maybe not development but just the way they give each character maybe their own personality and their own beliefs and how they feel like Sprite as annoying as she is uh, Kingo kind of pieces together pretty quickly or has already pieced together and then we find out that Sprite is in love with Icarus but they can't be together and that there's that whole Tinkerbell Peter Pan uh, Never Neverland whatever parallel that they're drawing again between Sprite and everyone else and she does end up signing with Icarus at the end of the movie when they split up uh Kingo leaves she sides with Icarus everyone else is kind of left to be like ah shit what do we do now um Gilgamesh dies who else dies Ajax and Gilgamesh I think are the only ones who die which sucks because I like Gilgamesh a lot so him being one of the only ones who dies sucks uh, Athena killing the Deviant at the end was great. Really liked that. And then, yeah, I mean, them being able to stop the birth of the Celestial and all that. Kit Harrington thought we were going to get some Black Knight in this movie. Uh, we didn't, but we did get so we did get future Black Knight, right? So we have Kit Harrington, Dane Whitman. Uh, he is. A guy who has a family history, which he's about to explain to Cersei before she gets whisked off by Arisham, who shows up 
total menace, the way he looks, just floating in the atmosphere of Earth. The, the scale that they gave the Celestials was really, really well done. Um, I mean, at the end, we really get that, that size discrepancy where Orisham is holding Kingo, uh, Faustus, and Cersei in his hand. He, like, summons them from Earth. Uh, and he's holding them in his hand, you see just how small they really are in comparison to a Celestial. Uh, now, there aren't a whole lot of Celestials. I think there's only about four or five of them in the MCU. So, and, and one of them, there actually might be six, and then one of them is Nowhere, who is with six. Now, actually, there might be four, and then two of them are dead. So, uh, we know Nowhere is the head of a Celestial. That's literally a, a huge planet is the size of that head. So, it, it's they are enormous in size. Just gigantic. Uh, and it's, it's cool to see what they're going to do in the future. And he says, I'm paraphrasing, but he says at the end when he gathers them up, uh, you have chosen to sacrifice the birth of a Celestial for this planet. I will go and check your memories, and come back in judgment to see if they deserve to live. So, they disappear, and we also get uh, Harry Styles is in the MCU now with the post credit scene. He shows up as Eros, aka Star Fox, who is, I guess he's also an Eternal, technically. He is the brother of Thanos, and Thanos, we know, by the way, uh, the reason why he became kind of an outcast is because of his purple skin, which he got from having a deviant gene in him. That's why he looks so much different. Eros is, I guess, he says, hello, my fellow Eternals. So I guess he's an Eternal. He's from Titan. Um, and he has one of those golden orbs that uh, Ajax had and then that Cersei has to connect with and talk to whatever celestial is in charge of them, I guess. So in, in their case, it was Arisham. Uh, but Eros has one, and he says, your friends are in trouble, but luckily, I know where to find them. So I guess they're going to team up, go out. It was, uh, who was, it was Druig, uh, Makari, and Thena, I believe, are the ones who are teaming up with Eros, and uh, I think his name was Pip. Well, uh, it was Patton Oswald was this little dwarf-looking guy. Um, so they're going to team up and go, I guess, and find the other Eternals. We do get, like, a it, the Eternals will return title card at the end of the end credit scenes. So we have all that, and that's all well and good, and, and it's all nice. But, in my opinion, the biggest end credit scene, of course, was Kit Harrington, Dane Whitman, his character, looking, he was about... To open the box, there's a, uh, or he opens the box with the ebony blade in it, which we do get a reference to earlier in the movie. Sprite asks Thena, is that the ebony blade? And she says, no, it's Excalibur. So the ebony blade they know of. Dane Whitman has it. It's his family's legacy to be the Black Knight. And he opens it, I guess, feeling forced now because he just saw Cersei get sucked up to a giant monster in the sky. So he is about to touch it. And we get a voice in the background. Are you sure you want to do that, Dr. Whitman? And I couldn't make out who it was at first. A lot of people couldn't. But Chloe Zhao, the director, did confirm 
that the voice at the end of the movie stopping Dane Whitman from picking up the ebony blade to begin his journey as Black Knight was indeed Blade Mahershala Ali, the half-vampire, half-human vampire hunter. I don't know what the hell Blade is doing in London, showing up to this guy, Dane Whitman specifically, how he even knows about him, uh, but he does... And this is now technically our first real introduction to Blade into the MCU. Unfortunately, we didn't get an actual face cameo. We only got a, a voice cameo, which sucks. I would have liked a face reveal. That would have been really cool. But we'll have to wait for Blade. Um, I'm not sure how it all ties up. Like, are Kit Harrington as Black Knight and Blade going to join up in the Blade movie, and they're going to be running around together. Are they going to show up in an MCU TV show for Disney Plus? I doubt that because Blade's a major character. I don't think they're going to be using Mahershala Ali in a TV show. Probably going to stick to the big screen with him. But it is... This is what I was talking about in the beginning of the episode, about how movies, the MCU movies specifically, they could like maybe not be on their own the best movies, but the way they expand the universe and lead the MCU into a different direction is always what I appreciate most about them. So The Eternals on itself, the actual movie, maybe it's not the best MCU movie. I probably have it in like a high low tier or low mid tier in terms of where they rank. Uh... Again, I have it. I, I think it's better than Black Widow. I think it's better than Ant Man, the Wasp, the first two Thor movies, uh, Captain Marvel. There, there are certainly. I, I'm, those are the ones off the top of my head because I kind of really think those are as the lowest of the MCU movies. And I'm sure I can come up with maybe one or two more, maybe even three that I think The Eternals is better than. It didn't deserve its bad rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Definitely, the audience score I think is way more accurate. Um, and in terms of, again, the actual movie, it may not be the best MCU movie. It's very slow in the beginning. There's a ton of exposition, which personally, I don't mind that much exposition when they're introducing and, and describing new things that have never been explored in the MCU before, which is what they did. But I can see why some people would be annoyed about the exposition. People don't like having things directly explain to them, although sometimes they need it. So there's a lot of exposition, especially in the first act of the movie. Um, I think it has a good blend of, uh, you know, mixing up humor and serious tones. Uh, the characters, there are a lot of characters. Um, some definitely shine brighter than others. But for the most part, I think the the differentiation of the characters and their different powers was pretty nice. Uh, I'm not too upset about that. Like I said, clearly more characters are important than others. Icarus dying at the end was uh, predictable, especially after he turned he was a, a turncoat and realized, and you realized as as you were watching that he's not uh, a good guy. He wants well, not necessarily not a good guy, but his views just align differently with the other Eternals. I don't, I, I wasn't surprised like that. He, I'm like, I, I leaned over to uh, my girlfriend afterwards when they were fighting. And I was like, I guarantee you Icarus flies straight into the sun after this. And I was right. 
very predictable, which is fine. Um, it's unfortunate that Richard Madden won't be returning into the MCU unless they, you know, they they did specify that Eternals get their memory wipes and reincarnate and stuff. So there may be an off chance that they create another Icarus who ends up being a good guy. I doubt it, but we'll see. They do have Kid Har- Kevin Kid Harrington and Richard Madden, by the way, when they first meet in London, having them on the same screen again, the first time I think they've been on screen together since Game of Thrones. Really cool moment if you're a Game of Thrones fan, like I am. Um, it was something to note, for sure. And they, they only shared one scene together, but it was a nice little reunion. You know, you're, if you were a really Game of Thrones fan, your heart warms a, a little bit to see the Stark brothers reunited here. Uh, so, all in all, plot-wise, character development-wise, like, it's a solid, like, I would say 6 out of 10. Nothing crazy, but in terms of what it does for the actual MCU, it, I give it at least like a 7, maybe even a 7.5, uh, because it expands the universe. We get our first true, real look of Celestials with Arisham, who uh, is Arisham the Judge. That's why he says, I will come back in judgment, in terms of will he come back to Earth and see. After, I guess he's going to uh, scan through their memories, and if he believes that Earth and the people of Earth are worth saving in return to, uh, in exchange for the death of a celestial, or I guess the rejected birth of a celestial, then he will let them live. If not, he's going to blow Earth up. I have a strong hunch that he's going to think Earth is worth saving because uh, there's literally not a single person in the MCU that they have right now that is strong enough to kill a celestial. Like an actual, full-blown, already alive celestial. Yes, we saw the Eternals stop the birth of a celestial, but that's a lot different than killing a celestial that's already alive. Now, nowhere does exist, which we know is the head of a celestial, so clearly these guys are killable. Because if they weren't, then nowhere wouldn't exist. But we know that they are killable. Just, it depends who is strong enough to kill them. Right now, I don't think there's anyone in the MCU that actually is strong enough to kill the Celestials. Uh, Maybe we'll get it. Like, Silver Surfer might be able to... I don't know. Galactus, maybe? Who knows? Um, But yeah, we have the Celestials that became um, characters, real characters. We had heard about them before. We have seen glimpses of them. But these are now real... They're, they're real. They're here. Uh, the Eternals, again, very cool uh, concept. I'm sure they're going to be... I, I wouldn't be surprised if they showed up in a Thor movie because Kingo does reference when they're at dinner. Uh, he does reference the fact that Thor used to follow him around as a little kid and now he won't return his calls because he's a big bad Avenger. So there are some type... Uh, there is some type of relationship between the Asgardians and the Eternals. They know of each other's existence. So, Thor, maybe the Eternals show up in Thor, or Thor shows up in another Eternals movie, whatever. I mean, Thor Love and Thunder does come out soon. So, or next year, early next year, mid-next year. I don't I don't remember. It's 2022. But, uh, so there is 
a possibility that we get an Eternals cameo in Thor Love and Thunder, or we get the Eternals show up in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, it's certainly possible. Now, as for Eros, he's another guy like Thor's brother. Um, I mean, Thanos' brother. Another interesting kind of development. Harry Styles being in the MCU, kind of funny, but uh, the apparently Eros, his power is to kind of like manipulate feelings, I guess. Um, so described as kind of a horn dog is what I was reading. So Harry Styles playing him, I guess, is a perfect casting because people love Harry Styles. And not surprising that Marvel is capitalizing on his uh, his foray into acting and um, his popularity right now. So overall, uh, I thought The Eternals was pretty good. Didn't deserve the... Uh, the criticism or the uh, the skepticism that it got, you know, it definitely is a different kind of Marvel movie, but uh, I did enjoy it. Again, a big thing for me is world building, so I, I think that this does a good job of expanding the universe outside of Earth and bringing in more godlike extraterrestrial threats and or allies is is something that just makes the MCU an even bigger scale, uh, which is what I think they're really going for here in Phase 4, if it wasn't obvious enough. Not only are they now expanding into Celestials and the Eternals, but they have the multiverse already set up. Spider-Man No Way Home is coming out um, in almost uh, a little over a month. Um 30, 38 days, it's December 17th, so 38 days, Spider-Man No Way Home comes out, uh, and like they have all these things set up already, and this just makes it an even bigger scale for what's going on in our MCU universe, and then the multiverse is a whole other thing, but it's very cool, they have, like I said, Eternals, Celestials, uh, Dane Whitman, Black Knight, and Blade, and Eros, who's an Eternal also, uh, all of them being introduced into the MCU, it's a huge deal. So for that reason, I'll give it like a seven, seven and a half. Definitely not the best MCU movie. Um, you know, if I had to rate them out of a hundred, I can be a little bit more specific. I just do it out of ten because it's easier. But uh, I, I thought it was good. I thought it was good. Definitely not the worst MCU movie. Not the best, but I put it again low mid tier. So, I'm happy with uh, the product. And I'm not going to say, I like Marvel movies, you know? I'm not like, uh, I wouldn't say I'm a shill. I'm definitely a critic. Like I said, I had my critiques with this movie. The, the pacing was a little wonky. The exposition was a little bit much. Um, but overall... I went in with kind of low expectations given the reviews, the the, the reviews before uh, the movie was released to the public. So I went in with pretty low expectations and they, you know, I, I would say they exceeded the low expectations. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I liked it. I definitely wouldn't say it's the worst uh, and I wouldn't say it's a bad movie in general. So seven, well, like 7.3 would probably be a little bit more accurate. I'd give it like a 72, 73, like on a scale of 100. Um, but yeah, if you haven't seen Eternals, definitely go see it. It's worth it if you're trying to keep up with the MCU. Um, 
expands the lore, expands the universe. It's all good. So that'll do it for this episode from my point of view. Thank you for listening to this Marvel movie review on this lovely Friday. Um, so thank you all for listening. Have a good weekend. And I believe I'll be uploading on Thursday next week. Not Wednesday, but Thursday. So I will most likely talk to you guys on Thursday.